Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. So I got some email about my iPhone hate. It's all right, man. There's always deniers. But it is what it is, man. If you own an iPhone, yeah. Sorry about that. My condolences. Um, let's see. I spent yesterday down at Camp Pendleton. Yesterday afternoon. Part of the morning. And uh, as usual, um, just to, you know, they're great experiences. You know, talking to Marines, talking to leaders, you know, uh, things that they see. Uh, and you talk to Marines, and I, I mean, I say this all the time, but some of these guys are just, they're miracles, they're even there. Um, and what's interesting, the more, um, the more I kind of go down the, the road of adverse childhood experiences, and, you know, I, I it's really interesting because most people don't know that you know, that they're in, people are in the Marine Corps with those kind of, um, in in the big numbers that they're in, okay? Most people are like, whoa. And so, 
it's a pretty interesting discussion, in my opinion. And um, and I I think ultimately that the Marine Corps will have to uh, change recruit training because I think you have. The drill instructor is a very debilitating example for young Marine. Okay. And let me explain let me explain that to you. The drill instructor is an adventure is, is an invention for recruit training. Okay. Now, if you look at recruit training, it is kind of this Disneyland place. For, for recruits that the Marine Corps is trying to move to become United States Marines. So it's this artificial world constructed, complete with characters in it. And the drill instructor is a character. I think the problem with the drill instructor is the drill instructor has to evolve. And... You know, anytime you talk about this subject, people lose their mind. But I think the drill instructor, so there's the, the British Royal Marine model where it's this kind of iron corporal, iron sergeant that's, you know, slowly but surely making these human beings into British Royal Marines. And they don't yell. They don't raise their voice. Now, I mean, that's, and I'm, I'm certainly oversimplifying it, but... <clears throat> I think one of the problems that the Marine Corps has is you have young Marines that go to the operating forces and then when they when they become senior lance corporals, right? So they've been around for a while. Now it's their turn. Right? It's their turn to rule the roost. Okay? And what happens when they get their turn is not always good. Because by default, their role model is who? Is the drill instructor. So now you have a kid who doesn't understand it, thinks they do, but they don't. All of 20 years old, maybe 21. And now that guy's going to make some 18-year-old's life hell. Because this 18-year-old doesn't measure up to this 20-year-old's right idea of what a Marine should be. So he's going to now become a 20-year-old drill instructor. Well, there's a reason we don't have drill instructors that are 20 years old. Yeah, there's a reason. And the reason is because they wouldn't get it. They don't understand it. There's a a certain amount of experience you need. But the problem with our, in my opinion, with one of the problems of our recruit training is and the Marine Corps tried to change, massage this by adding another two weeks. But I think it's too late. And they add another two weeks and drill instructor behaves more like a squad leader, platoon sergeant in the operating force. More mentor, more leader, and less drill instructor. But I think that that metamorphosis has to come way earlier in the program. I think, and that that way, 
what you alleviate is some of this craziness in the operating force where you have the Lord of the Flies event going on in the barracks because the because the 20 year olds are now going to lock on the 18 year olds and then you have the idiots who happen to be you know in some cases with great sway and they work out so good and so to me you've got to teach somehow or other you know and this happens all the time You know, getting them up at three in the morning, PTing the shit out of them, you know, yeah, under the guise of a 20-year-old because they don't get it, you know. And so I always say there's a reason that we don't have drill instructors in the operating forces. We don't need them. You can't lead like that. And if that's your idea of what a leader is, then you don't understand what we do at recruit training. You don't understand the artificial nature of that, the finite duration of that. So I can, it kind of lends itself that, you know, I think the Marine Corps, it would be too much if we said, yeah, we're not going to do that. That model was for a bygone era and that the ship is sailed on that. So we're going to reinvent recruit training. And part of that, we still believe that there's a place for stress especially in the first phase. We want to put them through that. We believe that's part of it. But then we're going to transition and our drill instructors are going to become, right, these very level-headed, measured leaders that are going to build these recruits into Marines. So, and I think in doing so, then the image in, you know, hopefully in the heads of these Marines as they leave is this caring, compassionate, driven, tough leader who takes care of you, first and foremost, takes care of you. you know? And then after that is all these other things too. Is all these other things too. So I got into a, a couple of interesting discussions about that yesterday. And then there's some people that disagree vehemently. No, we can't trade. We can't change recruit training. There's others that believe, no, you need to throw the whole thing away. I believe that, that there's a hybrid in there. And I think you can keep the best elements of the way the Marine Corps uh, conducts recruit training. And I think you can evolve it. I don't think you have to mess with that that much. But I think that the drill instructor has to evolve as the recruit evolves. I just think it has, if I, that has just too much of a detrimental effect. As all over the Marine Corps, you have this reign of stupidity as 20-year-olds, you know, try to imitate drill instructors. It's just not good. It's not good. They don't get it. So you got to grow them, hopefully grow them through that. So anyway, I think that will be an interesting discussion on one of these times when, on one of these times uh, when we do the Lynch, Kenny, Costantini event, which we'll do tomorrow. 
which we already recorded, so I think you'll find it interesting. We talk about the top stories of the year, and then we talk about the top defense stories of the year. So I think you'll find that uh, interesting. I think you'll find that interesting. Um, and uh, I'll be doing post-traumatic winning all day today and into the evening. And then, uh, and then again tomorrow morning. So, yeah. So, you'll hear. Um, yeah, uh, really excited. I mean, uh, what you're going to hear today is Bing West. He's written a book called The Last Platoon, published by Simon & Schuster. That's right. You can find it everywhere. And... Um, I'll read you some stuff about it's part of Bombardier Books. It says this The Last Platoon, a novel of the Afghan War by Bing West, the Afghanistan War. Bing West is the number one New York Times best selling author of Call Sign Chaos Learning to Lead. Written by General Jim Mattis. Now comes West's searing work of fiction, The Last Platoon, a novel of the Afghanistan War. So, yeah. So you're going to hear from Big. And, you know, he's very gracious in the interview. We talk about uh, current events, we talk about America's. Um, now he so so I mean, Bing West is a um, Bing West is a Vietnam guy, right? That's how he rises to fame. And so um, so we talk about as a Vietnam guy, how did you feel watching the Afghan War? How'd you feel about that? Why did we you know? Ask him, why did we expand the ground war in Afghanistan again? Can you explain that to me? And so, uh, so Bing very graciously talks about that, and then we uh, and then we talk about uh, his book, right? And the book is a novel. We talk about why he chose fiction as a tool to write this, and uh, so he talks about that. Um, we talk about his own thoughts of Afghanistan and what he thinks are going to happen uh, here in the not too distant future. Will Afghan, will Afghanistan um, be something it's never been, or will it recede inside of its banks and uh, and go back to being something that it's uh, it's always been? So uh, so you'll get to hear uh, Bing West, and we'll do that in about forty five minutes. So that's going on today. And then tomorrow you'll hear the Mensa Brothers. And then uh, I'm not sure that we're going to do a show on Christmas Eve. So um, if anything, we might do something fun um, for an hour. And then uh, it is Christmas Eve after all. Nothing on Christmas Day, of course. And then we'll be back next week. Alex Hollings will join me. The Mensa Brothers will join me in another short week. And... Uh, and we'll find somebody else to drag on the air as well. So, uh, always interesting. Um, I got a couple of emails about uh, Wall Street. 
and China. And it's interesting because Wall Street, you know, the bastion of America, you know, the cradle of capitalism, but capitalism would deliver itself to totalitarianism for the right price. Is that what you're telling me? And you know what the answer you know what the answer to that is? A lot of people say the same thing. Yes. Yes. That's what they will do. If given the opportunity, if given the opportunity, they would deliver capitalism to communists if you give them the opportunity. And it is, uh, it's, it's, it's stunning to read that. It's stunning to hear people say that. That capitalism will deliver itself to communism. They will deliver itself to communism. Just give them the opportunity. And so I had a couple of interesting conversations about it. And uh, one of the um, one of the interesting conversations was quoting what was somebody who was working on the initial public offering of its oh Airbnb. And somebody was balking at the Chinese requirement for data, blah, 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 blah. And they said, hey, you don't understand. We don't, we're not in the business of exporting and promoting American values. We're in the business of making money. And if it's at the expense of the American people, if it's at the expense of the world order, then, I mean, that's going to be for somebody else to decide. But, I mean, our job is to make money. And so um, it's pretty amazing when you see that stuff um, on a regular basis. And uh, just know this, they, they ha- I mean, they do not have a conscience. They do not have a conscience. And so they will feed it, they will feed it to the Chinese as long as they're making money, right? And it's it's almost this, right? The ultimate irony. Capitalism will deliver itself. Capitalism will deliver itself. And they will destroy their own system. Because of their own greed. Amazing, right? Amazing when you think about it. So I had a number of people comment on that. Um, and, uh, you know, and wonder if, if, if the world can ultimately recognize China for what it is. Some people believe that that's happening. And others believe that it's not. So um, I got a couple of interesting emails about that. It's always interesting. People, uh, I will tell you, I mean, I think Grant, as he has done for me, I think he's done the same thing for everybody. And that is, he's given us all a, a this incredible education about things in the Pacific Rim. Yep. 
and uh and so yeah my my knowledge of um and even yesterday we were talking about the japanese you know defense budget and he starts you know he starts drilling deep into it and i sit here and smile when i listen to him and he starts talking about um yeah well it's it's you know it's a bigger budget than they've ever had but they still can't do this they still can't do this they still can't do this they can't do the very basic things that you would expect. And so, and so it goes. So, I mean, I, I, uh, I but uh, there's always interesting email because I think Grant ma has made, has, has a, has a, has a huge following, has a huge following. And uh, so I, I, I always get interesting email after he comes on. The um, the other thing, somebody sent me an email and said, "Hey Mac, don't forget to give us an update. Always enjoy hearing about um, your speaking." Well, you know, I've changed the the presentation, and um, I put I put one thing in uh, at the suggestion of a squadron commander from. Um, the third marine air wing and it was the basis for my science fiction binge over the weekend and that was um he came up to me at the end of it and he said are you familiar with the mandalorian and i said i am not i said i've heard of it he said well it's a series on disney and i thought you were going there Right, and I said, "Going where?" He said, "Well, <clears throat> the Mandalorians have a saying." I said, "Yes," and he said, "And the saying is, this is the way.'" And I went, "Oh, because <laughs> it's like perfect for post-traumatic winning, right? This is the way." So today, so yesterday, when I was doing the presentation, I got to the end of it. Right, and um, and I said, you know, I'm often asked, how did I come to this? How did I figure this out? And I and I tell people. Now, the screen is now had slides on it. It's now black. There's nothing on it. I tell people. I say facetiously, that I'm really smart. Do you want to know the truth? And they always say, oh, yeah. And I <laughs> I say, I'm really smart. That's how I figured all of this out. And then they laugh. And I say, the truth is that there is no other, there is no other path, right? And now the screen's black behind me. I said, the truth is that this is the way. And then I then I hit the thing, and, and there's this Mandalorian headpiece and uh, a uh, an image of right the Mandalorian, 
holding this little Yoda kind of thing that he that he cruises around with. I'm a huge fan of the little Yoda guy. I think their interaction is the best part of it. He's not really a dad, but he kind of is. He kind of plays one, and you see him kind of warm up to the task, and I think that's pretty cool. And so, um, and so today they liked it. They were like, "Yes." And so it'll stay in there. This is the way, right? The fourth path, the path of post-traumatic winning. So I am, I, I've also, you know, the other thing that's interesting is the evolution of the presentation itself and, and in particular the Stockdale paradox. Um, I now see the cause and effect relationship. First of all, I mean, nobody knows I mean, the things I talk about in post-traumatic winning, there's not too many people that know them, know those things. And so the major way people get through trauma in this country is they're, I mean, right out of the chute. You want medication? Man, we're so spring-loaded to medicate people, it's ridiculous. So, and then, you know, you're going to go to therapy. You're going to go to talk therapy. That's the way. And so, transformation? What? And I, I, for the life of me, where that takes you is you're hoping that, that something you learn in therapy somehow or other changes the, dynamics of, the dynamic of your life. How many words do I say? What are the words that I say to make this stuff go from really, really unhappy to somehow or other I can live with it. And I think, based on my experiences, that, I mean, it doesn't happen. There are no words. There are no words that will do that. And so, so you go down in the valley of the shadow of death, what, with medication and hope that it's going to get better based on what? Based on what? I'm going to talk this to good? And I, I just don't, I, I, I don't see that. I don't experience that. I don't have people to come and say, that's how I did it. Yeah, I don't. So when I see the Stockdale Paradox, right? And the Stockdale Paradox says, hold on. I'll read it almost verbatim, the part that I think is is most significant. Stand by. All right. The Stockdale Paradox. When you're imprisoned by great calamity, by great difficulty, by great uncertainty, which might be imprisoned by trauma, right? All of that. You have to, on one hand, never confuse the need for unwavering faith that you will find a way to prevail in the end. And on the other hand, the discipline to confront the most brutal facts we actually face. And we're not getting out of here by Christmas. All right, that's Admiral James Stockton. Okay, so let me draw you a, a kind of a, a parallel example. You ever gone through financial difficulty? And you're someplace, and you're not sure when you swipe your ATM card if it's going to go through. 
Okay, you ever go through that for a period of time? And then when you get notices from the bank or different letters, I mean, that you take them and you throw them in a pile and you don't open them? So I say that you don't know how you're going to make it through this period of your life. And how willing are you, are most of us, to confront the truth? We're not. We don't want to, we don't want to see the truth. We're just hoping to get through this. And we don't know how. Okay? Now, contrast that with this. I know I can get through this. I know that there's a path there. I know that I have to talk about it. I have to stop drinking. I have to exercise and stay active. I have to understand wellness. I have to accept that I'm going to learn to coexist and that I will be self-disciplined. I know that if I do those things, I know with certainty that I will get through this. I know this because I've seen all these other, you know, people that are no better than me do it. And if they can do it, I can do it. So I know. I think that knowing is hugely important in the Stockdale Paradox. Because that is the bedrock. It's not hoping. Right? And to me, there's such a difference between knowing and hoping. I'm not hoping that I'm going to get through this. I know I'm going to get through this. And so now I can have unwavering faith. Because I know that I'm going to prevail in the end. I'm not sure how I am. Okay, but I know I'm going to go down this path. I know I'm going to take these steps. And And I know ultimately I will prevail in this struggle. And that knowledge, right, and that, that belief, right, the knowledge that there is a path begets the belief, right, that I will prevail, gives you the courage and discipline to confront the truth. But if you go backwards from that, how do you want me to confront the truth when I don't know how the hell I'm going to get through this? I don't know that there's a path for me. I'm going to go down there and, you know, I've got this bottle of pills. I'm hoping I get through this. And as I said, that's not how David goes into the valley of the shadow of death. He has a rod and he has a staff. That's how he goes in. And if he would have stopped by the armory radio, armory, at the entrance to the valley of the shadow of death, he would have been given a map and a compass. And he would have figured out how he was going to get his ass out of that valley. He would have known, right? Anchored in, anchored on terra firma. That is firm ground, in case you don't know. That there's a path for him. But I don't, if you don't know the path's there, you're reduced to hope. And if people say, oh, I never doubted I'd get out. Bullshit, man. How did you know you were going to get out? Well, I believed in what? What did you believe in? The Wicked Witch of the West? Rabbit's Foot? Hope? No, I'm talking about knowing. Knowing. Now, what's interesting about Stockdale is Stockdale knew, right? Stockdale knew that he would prevail at the Hanover Hilton. He knew that. His study of, of Stoic philosophers and the Stoic philosophy prepared him to be the guy there. Uniquely prepared. And when you hear him say, 
that this would be one of the ultimate experiences of his life, one that he would never, ever wish that he had avoided or words to that effect. That's in Jim Collins's remarks. But again, I don't, so Stockdale's, Stockdale has that rock solid faith because he understands Stoic philosophy. He understands that he ultimately decides his response in all these situations. And so he's, He's mentally prepared for this, right? And so contrast that with somebody who's not mentally prepared for it, who's immature, I don't mean in terms of emotional maturity, but immature in terms of knowing anything about trauma. And so what would they do? Naturally, they would hope that they get through it. And so to me, you know, the, my understanding of Stockdale Paradox has evolved uh, incredibly. And so what's so important is that I don't think you can have unwavering faith that you will prevail if you don't know that there's a path there. Other than that, it's hope. I hope that I make it through. And when all you do is have hope... <sighs> It's hard to confront the truth. I don't really want to talk about that. Because I don't see the path. And so the whole I think the whole dynamic changed once you sit down and you say, okay, let me show you the path. Let me show you this path. And, you know, the, there was a corporal by the name of uh, Jacob Wright who's introduced it before. And he did it again. And he's just a, he's just a great, great young guy. And, you know, you know, here you have a young man who's standing up in front of his peers and talking about, you know, one of his friends getting killed one night up in Huntington Beach. And, I mean, the courage that he shows by standing up and talking about that are, is all the things that are so important, you know, that happen in post-traumatic winning. And he is a great, great, great ambassador for post-traumatic winning. So... Um, so yeah, it's always interesting, you know, my evolution, you know, and then the other thing that, that is more prominent in the presentation now is, uh, is, are, are, are two things. One is, is the adverse childhood experiences. So what I try to do is I try to explain from kind of cradle to grave, the migration of people down this path to experience, you know, adverse childhood experiences. And then they, they look for help and they don't get help. And then they go look for help again and then they're like, I'm done with that. And they're groping in the dark trying to find, find a way through. They learn how to fake it. You know, they might learn how to self-medicate with alcohol. And they, and they go through that, their life like that until more bad stuff happens. And then if you're a veteran, that's suicide spikes between the age of 55 and 74, which is surprising for everybody. And so what I try to do is I try to back the lens out and say, okay, I want you to follow this person from the time they're young to the time they're old. And does this make more sense now? And, and it's interesting. They come up and, wow, I've, I've never seen it presented like that. So, so yeah, the presentations evolved. Um, presentations evolved like that.
and I like to I like the visuals of talking about the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, I like those visuals because they're powerful, and that's what's really important about about uh, about those things is that they are powerful, and um, yeah, and they're. Uh, and that's what I try to do with the whole presentation is make it extremely vivid uh, in terms of the data, in terms of the way we talk about, you know, like uh, like you've heard me say before. I don't, um, w- so we're going to talk about discipline, but Will Smith is who they're going to hear from. Not typical Marine Corps discipline, but from an, uh, an Academy Award winning, Emmy Award winning, Grammy Award winning, and all kinds of other award winning Artists, why did those people invest millions of dollars in Will Smith? And you'll hear him say, there was always more talented people than I am. But they know that I'm I'm a disciplined artist. And they can invest their millions of dollars in me and bet on me that I will deliver in such a way that, that they will get a great return on their money. So they could take that to the bank. So, I mean, and I like all that. You know, I like all that. When they hear about living with trauma, they hear from Elizabeth Smart. And so everything off center. So I I really like the presentation. (laughs) Um, And it's better now. So um, with that said, good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official on a Tuesday morning. Good morning. This is dedicated to uh, Bing, Bing West, who joins the program today here in a little bit. Um, and uh, Bing, very gracious, um, has been on the program numerous times, always very gracious to me. And um, and that no different uh, in the interview you'll hear today. He's extremely gracious and, uh, and wonderful to talk to. Um, and so, and, uh, and, you know, the prolific writer of the Marine Corps uh, in my lifetime. So uh, this is dedicated to uh, Bing West and the Marines and Sailors of the 1st Battalion of the 5th Marines, the 1st Battalion I was ever in. That's right. And um, 
just an awesome day yesterday uh, down there with them and looking forward to doing more post-traumatic winning today and, uh, and continuing to hopefully help people change people's lives and, and starting with their own first. So dedicated to those two uh, purposes today. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. check the weather now just know that because i'm speaking um this is a couple hour earlier than you would normally get these temperatures so i don't want you to think that like somehow other the world is changing right global warming even a bigger problem than you thought it was that's right especially for all you hippies out there i don't want to cause a meltdown this early in the morning I'm conscious of stuff like that. 
So, um, yeah. The um, currently it is partly sunny and 44 in Quantico. Yeah, how about that? Warming up on the East Coast. Sunny and 45 at Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune. Right now it is dark and 48 and clear in 29 Palms. It is dark and 42 degrees at Camp Pendleton. You never see that. Where it's colder at Pendleton in the middle of the night than it is in 29 Palms. Global warming, man. That's right. Camp Smith in Hawaii, clear, dark, and 72. Okinawa, dark, cloudy, and 66. Down under it in Darwin, it is dark, raining, and 78. And in Norway, late in the day, it is 38 degrees, raining. At the home of All Marine Radio, it is clear and 50 degrees. Looking for a high today, all the way up to 63 degrees. With a mostly sunny sky. And uh, looking for a high of 73 tomorrow, 71 on Thursday. Friday, which I believe is Christmas, is 68 and Saturday is 64. So that is a look at your weather. We'll take a break and then we'll come back. We'll check some news headlines. More of All Marine Radio coming up next right here on your home fort. The one and only All Warrior Radio Network. We used to get together every week. She's been home from her last deployment for months now, and I haven't seen her once. He's just been different since he got back from Iraq. One minute he's ready to go, and the next he doesn't want anyone around. The nightmares are back and seem to be getting worse. Shouldn't he be sleeping better after all these years? A lot of people don't understand what veterans go through during their service or when they come back. And that's okay. But everyone can help. You can make a difference in the life of a veteran. You stood by us when we were in uniform, so stand by us now. Like my brother did, when he wouldn't take no for an answer. Like my wife did, when she asked the right questions. Like my friend did, when she made the call. Take a stand for those who served our country. If you're a veteran in crisis, or no one who is, the Confidential Veterans Crisis Line is here for you. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Chat at veteranscrisisline.net or text 838-255. America's service members and veterans are strong, forged out of bravery, sacrifice, and duty. They are diverse, unique, from all corners of the country, and thanks to their common experience, a family for life. But whether they served in lands far away or communities close to home, some of these men and women may face difficult times or even crisis. But sometimes reaching out for help can be the most challenging and worthwhile mission of all for veterans, service members, reserve, and National Guard. Thankfully, friends, family, and communities are standing by their service members and veterans now more than ever. We're all in this together. When you recognize something isn't right, make the call to the Veterans Crisis Line or Military Crisis Line. During times of crisis, reach out and call. Dial 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 or chat online at veteranscrisisline.net or text 838-255. We all share a common journey. We wanted to serve our country, stand for something bigger than ourselves, and protect the things we love. 
Although we were ready to face any mission, help those in need, and make a difference, for some of us, coming home was more of a challenge than we expected. In the service, we had each other's backs. But as veterans, it can sometimes feel like we're all alone, even when surrounded by our loved ones. If you're a veteran or service member in crisis, or know one who is, call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Chat at VeteransCrisisLine.net or text 838-255. America's injured and critically ill service members face incredible challenges every day of their lives. Since 2004, the Semper Fi Fund has helped thousands of service members and their families with both immediate and long-term needs. Join the Semper Fi Fund in supporting American heroes. They've given so much. Now it's our turn. Learn how your tax-deductible donation makes a real difference in their lives at SemperFiFund.org. Hi, I'm Colleen McNamara. And you're listening to my dad on All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. It is the season. Merry Christmas, everybody out there. Happy holidays to everybody else. Van Morrison and... Uh, Eric Clapton jumped into it, huh? Van Morrison tweeted this out. Have you downloaded at Eric Clapton and Van Morrison's Stand and Deliver? Two artists have joined forces to support the UK hashtag music industry and help musicians who have been struggling financially. We must act now before it's too late. And as you might imagine, the comments and all the rest of it, some of them are interesting. Oh, and now we're politicizing music? When will it stop? I think it's always been politicized. Isn't it a form of protest? Yeah, Brenda Lee this morning, live in studio. Hey, Brenda, what's up? Um, Also live in studio, Elvis Presley. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not easy to pull off. All right? But when when you know the right people, you can pull this kind of stuff. You can pull this kind of stuff off. All right? Yeah, in studio right here, right now. 
I'm just kidding. He's really not. I love this, man. I'll be so blue. Lip curled. Just thinking about you. Swiveling those hips to Christmas music? Huh? What? On a green Christmas tree. Yeah, Elvis, come on, you gotta love it. All right, let me do some news headlines before I hit the road. And, uh, and let me tell you, I've been awake since like 3.15 in the morning because I'm fired up to go <laughs> Go talk today. Um, honestly, I mean, I have, I have a really cool job, and uh, and it and it gets better all the time. It's better. It gets better all the time, and uh, so yeah, I'm fired up. <laughs> I'm fired up. So uh, top stories in stars and stripes today. Um. Hundreds of USS Ronald Reagan sailors in close contact coronavirus quarantine as holidays draw to draw near. About 350 Reagan sailors are in some form of quarantine in Yokosuka. Navy pretty sensitive to that. Big headline. Yeah, yesterday kind of reverberating around the DOD, um, a number of stories about race. And this one in Stars and Stripes report, black members of the Air Force, Space Force are not treated the same as white troops. Services need to figure out why. Racism in the Air Force, is it systemic? The four-month data analysis by the Inspector General found disparities exist in the treatment of black and white troops within the Air Force, the Department of the Air Force now. It has both the Air Force and the Space Force. Lieutenant General Sammy said, Lieutenant General Sammy said, oh no, Lieutenant General Sammy said, the service IG chief, said Monday. Yeah, it's kind of a... Yeah, last name is Said. So in the context of that, you could have read it. Lieutenant General Sammy Said, the service IG chief, which means they're the inspector general of the Air Force, Department of the Air Force, I think, said Monday. But it's actually Air Force Department, Lieutenant General Sammy Said, the Air Force. Yeah, so anyway, it's a little bit nuanced. I know that, but, you know. So it goes. However, the investigation did not attempt to determine the actual causes of those discrepancies, meaning said could not definitively say why the result of racism or other biases within the force. That requires more detailed assessment and analysis. If you don't know where there's potential smoke, and if you don't know if it's smoke or dust, you'll 
you'll wander all over the place. So this review tells us where to focus and where additional analysis is absolutely required. Okay, so the question is why? Systemic racism? We will find out shortly. Bear with me. From the Wall Street Journal, top stories, Google, Facebook agreed to cooperate, agreed to cooperate, a lawsuit says. Facebook and Google agreed to cooperate and assist one another if they ever faced an investigation into their agreement to work together in online advertising according to an unredacted version of a lawsuit filed by 10 states against Google last week. It's coming, folks. It's coming. Um, yeah. Let me just Google straight up needs to be broken up. Anytime that, um, anytime that you have a company like that controlling 92% of the search traffic in the world, that's a little bit of power, huh? So we decided, for instance, I just used that example of, uh, of what Apple has done, right? And then all the rubes that own iPhones, right? They don't know it. They'll go searching for something. Your shit's being manipulated by China. Nice, huh? Yeah, so do you, do you think Google doesn't tweak it? Think do, Google didn't t- tweak it for the election? I think they tweak it on a regular basis. Same thing with Facebook, man. <clears throat> that kind of a company with, you know... So, I mean, you see these giants in the world of technology that got there first, right? And then dominated the marketplace. And now what they do is they buy up anything that looks like it could be a rival. And, you know, to me, at some point, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, that's what you're watching. So it's only a question of time until they get broken up. The question is how. Um, another headline, hiring frenzy for pharmacists as COVID-19 vaccines roll out. It shows average uh, wages for pharmacists and then all other occupations. Uh, pretty good. If you want to be a pharmacist technician in particular. Another story. Um, wave of attempted fraud hits cha- claims of unemployment as unemployment has run out, right? Now we have to, you know, now you know we have all the fraud that's going to happen. Much of it by necessity because people have nowhere else to go. One of the things I saw in terms of the whole Eric Clapton thing is a uh, was a uh, headline that said, Politicians haven't missed a paycheck. True that, right? True that. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people not happy with them. Um, One other story from the Wall Street Journal. 
WeChat becomes a powerful surveillance tool everywhere in China. China's do everything app WeChat has become one of the most powerful tools in Beijing's arsenal for monitoring the public, censoring speech, and punishing people who voice discontent with government. Imagine. This is who Wall Street wants to get in bed with. Authorities are increasingly using the app to justify arrests or issue threats, according to dissidents, consumers, and security researchers. Wang Shenseng, a labor and women's rights lawyer, said authorities are monitoring her WeChat and text messages earlier this year so they could gather evidence to thwart her, her legal career. There you go. And guess where those tools are coming from, right? Do you remember, remember Google? Not wanting to work with the United States DOD, but more than happy to help China? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, top stories in <clears throat> U.S. If you want DOD, let me tell you, I would say this. If you're looking for good news, USNI News is really good. Um, you know, you'll see reports that get filed, congressional reports that get filed. Um, the um, USS Macon Island and their amphibious ready group off the coast of Somalia as the United States uh, repositions forces. So just in case anything going on, we have a heavy hand in the region. So good luck to them. Um, top stories for 2020. Let me see if they do it. One, two, no. They do it by... The first one is the Middle East. The assassination of uh, on January third of Qasim Soleimani, uh, right? So Middle East, and that really changed. I mean, think back. I mean, Iran, not so much. And now, what's in, in the most improbable of improbables? You have the. Um, the Arab nations of the Middle East aligned with Israel and the United States against Iran. And even Europe is not going near Iran. And it, uh, you know, it all starts with an extremely gutsy decision by the President of the United States to whack that guy. January 3rd, 2020. Uh, the Indo-Pacific is the second story, uh, which is seeing much uh, naval activity, much joint and combined activity in the region. Uh, the next story is the um, USS Bonhomme Richard. So that's the next story. And then the next story after that heading is fleets of the future. What will the Navy look like? What will the Pacific fleet look like? You know, the Navy getting involved back in the Arctic again. So, uh, so interesting little story there from Marine Corps Times. 
Uh, there's a interesting story. The, what role of Marine will Marine Corps infantry play in a new strategy to fight China? Right. The Marine Littoral Regiment. And um, if you ask me, if you ask me, right? I mean, I don't know that people have bluntly said it but all the pictures that you see that you see now including the one that goes with this which is a, a group of marines in a stack moving down the down a hallway it's not so much what the marine corps is going to be about anymore were we to do iraq again that would be an all army event the marine corps would be on the sideline watching yeah the marine corps would be Right, um, an asset of the Navy, enabling you know the Navy to do things that it doesn't believe it can do without such a force. But the Marine Corps will divest itself of uh, of other roles and missions. Will not participate across the range of military operations. At least that's my take on it. Right, that's my take on it. So uh, that story at the top, what's the role of Marine infantry in the new strategy to fight China, right? To close with and destroy? I don't know if that's what the littoral regiments are going to do. Denial? So anyway, um, it evolves, and I think that's the gist of the article. It is unknown. So it's always sobering when you read that, right? You would have liked that to see that pinned down before you go down that road. Oh yeah, we know we know what we want. You know, what is the backbone of the Marine Corps? We know what we want that to be and to what the requirement is. And when you read, yeah, we don't have that figured out yet. It's like, oh, wow, sobering, right? Sobering. But that's where the Marine Corps is today. And again, um, what you're seeing is a Marine Corps that doesn't do the range of military operations. A Marine Corps that, that has become a very, very nuanced force in support of the Navy. And while the Marine Corps has always considered itself in support of the United States Navy, it always had the option, because of its its generalist nature, that if you know we, we had to go to Afghanistan, we had to go to Iraq, we had to do Desert Storm, we could always do that. In the future, it does not look like the Marine Corps will participate in that range of military operations, which means, you know, for those war plans, three other divisions have to be tapped. So, interesting, right? Uh, top five stories in early bird. Number one, U.S. Navy announces nuclear submarine passed through the Straits of Hormuz amid tensions with Iran. You don't see announcements like that very often unless you're message sending. So, um, and when you think about it, we're just talking about uh, General Soleimani's, you know, uh, the attack on him. That anniversary is coming up. And on the back heels of, uh, of an assassination uh, of a nuclear scientist that's being attributed to Israel, but the more you read about it, 
you know, it looks like Israel has some kind of willing partner within Iran who's facilitating these things. So it's part Iranian descent and maybe part foreign support. So uh, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. But yeah, you don't normally see movements of uh, nuclear submarines passed around or announced publicly. But that anniversary is coming up, and those anniversaries are significant things. Uh, when you're in the region, you're constantly reminded by intelligence people that, hey, this is coming up. So we'll change our security posture from this period to this period. Uh, second story in Early Bird is McConnell, as in Senator McConnell, Senate to return December 29th for potential Trump veto override vote. And that's for the National Defense Uh, Authorization Act. Number three, consistent widespread racial disparities hurt black airmen, according to the IG study. Now, that's the headline. The inspector general said there's a disparity. They don't have the footnotes. Okay. So the, the fundamental question is, are they being targeted because of their race? That's the question. Let's see. Race and crime in the United States. I'm trying to find a table that I can get succinct data. FBI, I'm looking for percentages. Will I find them? Percent distribution of crime in the United States. So when you talk about murder, non-negligent manslaughter, as opposed to negligent manslaughter, Um, whites commit 44% of those crimes in the country. Black, while 16% of the population commit 53% of those crimes. And Native Pacific Islanders. Let's see. Robbery, whites, this is FBI table, right? Whites uh, commit 43% of those crimes, I think are 60%, 60 to 70% of the nation, right? Um, Blacks, 13% of the population, 54% of the robberies. So, now, I know that's like, oh, Matt, geez, what are you saying? Those are just facts, okay? Um, so the footnotes matter, you know? Is there systemic racism in the Air Force? Do they target black airmen because of race? Are you more likely to be prosecuted? So what somebody's going to have to do is they're going to have to look at 
you know, these cases, and they're going to say, are these legitimate or not? Was this airman targeted because of race? And that's the kind of, you know, work that people are going to have to do. And I have to tell you, I'll be shocked if that's, if somebody goes through that stuff, knowing what I know about the Air Force and their sensitivity to everything, that they're going to take a black airman to some kind of court-martial or disciplinary proceedings and it not be legitimate. I, I, in, in it, look, I can't, I can tell you in the Marine Corps, y- you are under an incredible amount of scrutiny as you bring people to military justice. An incredible amount. So it'll be interesting to see what they find. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be fascinated to, to read what they find. You know, and again, it's going to involve going through all those cases to finding out, did they break squelch, right? Are they legitimate? Um, last night, I was watching something, and they showed uh, the superintendent at the Air Force Academy. I'm, I, I don't know, Lieutenant General at the time, Silvera. But very, very widespread video of him chewing everybody's ass over what turned out to be a hoax, telling them, get out of the Air Force. If you can't, if you can't treat people with dignity, if you can't treat people with respect, he's got the entire staff of the Air Force Academy, I think, in, in, in their chow hall or something like that. And he's up on a mezzanine. And he's pissed. Yeah, it was all a hoax. The N-word was written on the, the uh, a message board that was sitting on the door of a black student at the Air Force Academy prep school that is evidently down the hill, as they say. One of the students who lived in that room, who is black, wrote it on that board. And that's what he was responding to. So this whole issue of race is not as simple as it sounds. I, I Honestly, I mean, to me, show me systemic racism. Don't show me anecdotal bigots and then try to take that behavior and say, oh, therefore this. I, I, I just don't see that. In education, education is run by liberals. got to be kidding me. So again, the footnotes matter. So it'll be interesting Right, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what the Air Force ultimately comes up with. And trust me, every commanding officer knows somebody of race standing in front of you. If those charges aren't legitimate, because the specter of somebody playing the race card against you, how fast does your career get ended if that gets played? Oh. I don't think there's a stopwatch that goes that fast. Well, there probably is, but it's in some kind of nuclear place, right? You are finished as a leader. Everybody knows that. So there's a disincentive, if any, because if they decide to play that card, if they decide to request mass and say, the only reason I'm here is because of my race, and any any bit of that is true, your shit is done. It's over. So, um, yeah. Uh, fourth story: U.S. aircraft carrier and twenty five hundred Marines are off the coast of Somalia. So that's from USNI News. Uh, number five: 
In, fir in a first, NATO forces now outnumber U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Holy shit. How about that? How about that? As the United States draws down to about 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. Uh, some overseas headlines. U.S. warship transit transits to Taiwan Strait, prompting an outcry from Beijing. I saw a headline that said we have transited the Taiwan Straits this year more than we have in like the past four years combined or something like that. Maybe not that much, but the number is, is up substantially. USS John McCain trains with French and Japanese navies in the Philippine Sea. It's good to see the French out there. That's a good thing, right? Message sending, right? Message sending to the Chinese, and it's a good gesture by the French, so congratulations to them. Um, and here's a story in the Washington Post. Ahead of the first anniversary of Soleimani's death, I talked about this earlier, right? Iran is still eyeing retaliation against the United States. Be very careful with that. That's all I'm saying. So that is a uh, look at your news today on this Tuesday, the 22nd day of December. Um, uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, Bing West joins us. Yep. And you're going to hear about his book called The Last Platoon. We'll also talk some current events with Bing. So uh, so always uh, always fun and interesting uh, to have, uh, you know, you know, a prolific writer. And as I said before, in my time, um, when you ask who's the most prolific marine writer, uh, it would certainly be Bing West. So he will join us coming up next. So don't touch that dial. More Ball Marine Radio coming up next right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network.